Well, hey, it is so good to be here with you today. If you're worshiping with us on Facebook Live, back in the chapel, or maybe at Crossroads West, we are especially thrilled that you've taken some time out of your day to be with us. Uh, Whether you know it or not, we are just two weeks away from Christmas. Anybody have all your shopping done? All right, three of us. Very good. Uh, Well, if you don't know it, or if you haven't, it's not obvious yet, we take Christmas around here at Crossroads like a big deal. I mean, it is a huge deal and we don't take it lightly whatsoever. And so two weeks from this weekend, we are going to have eight different services between our Newburg and West Campus. Now here's why. Because we know that more than any other time of year, the people in our life that normally wouldn't attend church are more open to attending church on Christmas weekend. And, and so we wanna leverage that. And, and so we are hosting multiple services to make room and space for uh, people that you are gonna bring. There should be some cards on the end of your rows, uh, whether you're in the chapel at West or even here at Newburgh. I want you to go ahead and pass these out. These are to invite uh, friends and neighbors and friends in your life that don't have a church home. Uh, we want to uh, encourage you to bring them on Christmas weekend because uh, we know that God is going to move in a really big way. And, and we are confident that, that God is going to connect more and more people to Jesus on that weekend. And, and so the other thing that, that we want to ask of you is to consider serving in one of those eight services. You can find out more information about that by logging on uh, to our website, cccgo.com forward slash Christmas. We'd love for you to be a part of this and help support our vision to connect more and more people uh, to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I love Christmas lights. I love Christmas decorations. I've always kind of been that guy. And, and so as a result, we go all out at our home. All right. Now, a couple of weeks ago, my wife Savannah and I knew that uh, we were going to be um, doing decorations out in our front yard and getting our house all ready. And so as I went out to the front yard, I, I looked up at our roof and saw that it was a mess. There were a bunch of leaves and pine needles up there. And so I went back to the garage, pulled out our ladder and thought, well, if we're going to have a spotlight on our house, it's got to be clean. And so as I positioned the ladder up against our gutter, I did what I always do before cleaning out our gutters. I went inside kissed my wife, told her how much I love her, and showed her right where the insurance papers are, all right? I mean, that's just kind of me. I'm prone to accidents. And so about 20 minutes later, I'm up on the roof blowing some leaves off and getting all the gutters clean. I look out and standing right on our street are a group of about four or five people just watching me and observing me. I thought, well, this is kind of weird. This is awkward. And I kind of acted like I didn't see him. I kept on doing what I was doing. And, and luckily, which is kind of a surprise, I didn't fall, okay? I didn't think anything of it until about a week later, a guy came up to me at church and he said, hey, I watched you cleaning off your leaves the other day on top of your roof. I mean, that was something. I had my cell phone in hand ready. And so I kind of interrupted him and said, oh, you know, that's great. Were you, were you ready to call 911? And I, if I fell off the roof, he, he said, oh, oh no. I had my phone in my hand in case you fell off. I wanted to get it on video. <laughs> yeah, what a great Christian, right? Now, there is no other indicator this time of year than driving down the street and looking at homes that are all lit up. And when we see lights, we know what time of year it is. We know that it's the Christmas season, right? 
Now, believe it or not, this tradition actually began hundreds of years ago during the medieval times, and, and followers of Jesus who were living in, in Europe and around the Mediterranean Sea uh, wanted to symbolize and commemorate Jesus' birth through some special way. Now, you have to understand that December, in that part of the world, it's the darkest time of year. And so they decided to light some candles and put it in their homes as a way to symbolize that, that Jesus was born into a dark world, but, but he is the light and, and hope is possible. And so as people would walk down streets in their villages and towns and, and they would see homes with candles in it, they would know and be reminded that hope is possible. That whatever it is that they were going through, it, it didn't have to define them. And in fact, Jesus came so that we could live in hope and, and we would know that a better day, a better way is possible. Now, what's really interesting is that one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of John, he kind of tells the Christmas story in a very unconventional way. All right, it's, it's not you would necessarily write if, if you were to write about someone's birth, someone's entrance into the world. And, and yet John being one of the closest friends of Jesus, uh, we can see and identify the birth of Jesus and, and look at it from kind of a different perspective. And, and so that's what we're going to look at throughout this series. And uh, if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of John. Okay. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible near you. Go ahead and grab it and feel free to take it with you when you leave here today. Consider that uh, our gift to you. Now, you might be a little bit confused when you open up the Bible because there are four different Johns in the Bible. Now, the John that we're going to be in is uh, the John that has no number before it. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, okay? And this is a biography on the life of Jesus. Again, written by one of the clo closest friends that, that Jesus had when he lived here in this world. Now, we're going to start out in chapter 1 today, and as you're turning there, uh, understand that all throughout John's account on the life of Jesus, he uses this uh, imagery of light and, and darkness, this, this contrast of light and darkness, good and evil, okay? Now, the entire reason why John wrote this letter was so that people who read it would believe that Jesus really was who he claimed to be, which is the Son of God, and that if you choose to follow him, if you choose to believe in him, you don't just... You aren't just saved from hell after you die. But no, if you actually believe in what he says is right and true, then Jesus can actually show us a better way to live before our funeral. And so here's how he introduces Jesus. Here's the Christmas story from John's perspective. Check out chapter one, verse one. John says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, talking about Jesus, all things were made. Without him, without Christ, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. All right, so what in the world is John talking about here? I mean, what's he saying? Now, this might seem a, a little bit confusing for us, but that's why it's important we keep in mind who the original audience was that John was, was first writing to, okay, in the first century. He, he was writing to some Jewish people as well as some Greeks. Now, he referred to Jesus right here as the word. All right, now, that seems a little bit odd. That actually comes from a Greek word, logos, and, and it meant something different for both the Jews and, and the Greeks. Now, for both people, this word carried a lot of meaning. It was a heavy word. And in fact, these first few sentences of John's narrative on the life of Jesus was kind of a shocking statement. It was polarizing. 
You see, for the Jewish people, Logos was the name that they had for the creator God. Nobody was higher than Logos. He was supreme. He is sovereign. But in Greek philosophy, Logos was the principle of reason and it's kind of the basis of reality. It's how you, how you found meaning and you defined life. It's through Logos. And so you see, John's point here is, hey, whatever you believe, wherever it is that you're coming from, realize that, that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is sovereign. It all goes back to him. Why? Because all things that you see with your eyes have been made by him, for him, and through him. And yet John was also saying that, look, whatever it is that you bring to the table, Jesus is greater. Jesus is is greater than than your tradition. Jesus is greater than than your logic, than your intellect. No, Jesus is the creator, God. Everything that you see has been made for him, has been made by him, and is in him. You see, Logos is supreme and sovereign. Therefore, that tells us that Christmas is all about celebrating the moment when the creator, God, actually subjected himself to the darkness of this world. Why? So that hope could be our everyday reality. John's basically saying, hey, look, whatever it is that you're counting on, whatever it is that you think is going to save you, is going to take care of you, when your world comes crashing down, Logos is greater. Jesus, Jesus is better. Now, as soon as Mary, Jesus' mom, became pregnant with him and she started to show, it's as if darkness tried to, to squelch the light immediately. What do I mean by that? Well, as she began to show, as she was pregnant with him, rumors started circulating in their community and their village and people were spreading lies about her that she had been sleeping around. And, and Joseph, the guy that she had been engaged to, thought about breaking off their engagement. Well, as Jesus was born, we also know that the king of Judea, a guy by the name of Herod, was so wicked, vile, and evil that he was threatened by this little baby that has been born in a stable, that he decided to send out his men to slaughter and kill all baby boys under the age of two, hoping that Jesus would be one of those babies. He was that threatened by a baby. Jesus grew up. One time we read about he returned to his village, his neighborhood, and people were were so confused by him that they wanted to kill him. They they tried to actually throw him off a ledge. His family didn't understand him. His friends eventually betrayed him, all of them. People said, you know, there's something different about him. He he must be demon-possessed. Now, here's what's really interesting. If Jesus really is God, if he is Logos, the sovereign, supreme creator of the universe, don't you think he could have approached life and kind of orchestrated his life here on earth in such a way that he could have avoided darkness? He could have rid his life of all suffering, any kind of pain or difficulty or any kind of conflict. Don't you think he could have just walked through life being absent of all that? Yeah, he could have. But that's not why Jesus came. You see, Jesus understood that, that he came to be a light, not, not in a lit room. He came to be a light in the midst of the darkness. And here's the thing. The light always shines brightest in the midst of darkness. John goes on to say it like this in verse five. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness hasn't prevailed against it, in other words. And right here, we're literally being told that that light has won, light is victorious. Not Not only is life better in the light, but a day is coming when all darkness, pain, and and suffering is gonna be eliminated altogether. 
One time when Jesus was older, we read about a moment when he had this conversation at night with a a really famous religious leader, a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. He didn't want other people to see him, and uh, he feared that his reputation might might be degraded. And so he went to Jesus because he had some questions about life and and faith and and trying to merge those two together. And, And he noticed also that something different was about Jesus, and he couldn't put his finger on it. And so he's having this conversation with with Jesus, but things are just going way over his head. Jesus knows that. And so here's what he says to Nicodemus. He says, hey, look, dude, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. You just aren't getting it, man. (laughs) How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Now, what's ironic is, is that Nicodemus was perceived as kind of the expert back in his day. He was the guy who had all the answers. And yet in this moment, Jesus is like, dude, you you're not getting it. It's just going right over your head. And so in a way, this kind of represented how the Jewish people received Jesus, how the Jewish people received the one that they had been waiting on for hundreds and hundreds of years. He was God in flesh, and, and yet Jesus was right before their very eyes. And rather than embracing Jesus, you know what they said instead? Crucify him. We want nothing to do with him whatsoever. And so John wraps up this little scene by, by saying this, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Now here's the thing, life in the darkness is nothing but an illusion, Right? I mean, isn't that some of our stories? Although it felt right and it seemed right in the moment, it's a matter of time until it catches up with us and we realize, you know what? It was a bait and switch. I got ripped off. Let me time out here for just a second. I get it that using terminology like light and darkness seems a little bit mystical and you think, well, this is kind of weird, a little bit supernatural. What in the world's going on here? I mean, whatever it is that you're talking about, Patrick, it doesn't really apply to me, this whole light and darkness thing. But the reality is you don't need me to stand up here and tell you that there is such thing as good and evil. You can just look at the world today and realize, okay, that's good, that's bad, that's not, that's not good. And and according to the Bible, there is a way that that leads to fulfillment. There is a way that that is right and true. And that happens when we align ourselves with what God says is, is right and true. But you see, all of us can speak from experience and the fact that we've made different decisions in the past that we thought were gonna lead to one way, it was gonna lead us one direction, but ended up leading us a totally different way. And and so we've all been confronted with light and darkness. And and some of us have made decisions in the light that that have been to our benefit, that have been wise, that that have led to fulfillment and, and to the betterment of other people. But we've all made decisions too that have led to nothing but maybe attorney fees or, or medical bills and uh, rumors and, and a lot of hurt and betrayal, right? We, we've all been there before. There's a way that is good and there's a way that is not so good. And so the chances are you know deep down that, that life in the light is just better, right? I mean, life in the light is just better. But, but here, here's my question. If we know that, that life in the light is better, why, why do we love to stay in the darkness so much? I mean, if we know that the light really is best, why do we find so much comfort in the darkness? Now, I, I don't know what you've been through this week. Chances are I don't know you all that well, all right? I can't speak for you. 
But what I am going to do for the next few minutes is simply speak on my behalf. So this is going to be a little bit different today. It's going to be kind of like a self-confession as as we walk through this together. As I answer this question, why do we sometimes prefer the darkness over the light? And so again, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And so this is my confession to you. Why do I sometimes prefer the darkness over the light? First one goes like this. I tell myself that darkness, that my darkness isn't that big of a deal, right? I kind of lessen it. It's not that, that big of a deal. And, and throughout the 66 books that make up the Bible, darkness is actually spoken of about 200 different times. Now, in each instance, it's used to paint this picture of what life is like far from God, apart from the Lord. Now, the darkness rarely overtakes our life all at one time. That, that's what's interesting. It, it rarely just occurs all in one snap of the fingers. Why? That'd be too obvious. It'd be, too, it'd be too drastic. Instead, what happens is darkness makes its way through our life in a subtle, more progressive way. It, in other words, it, it leads to a lot of confusion. A guy by the name of Paul who started a bunch of churches 2,000 years ago, as he was writing to one of his churches that he had started a few years prior, he, he said it like this, as he's describing this tension of light and darkness. For those who live in the darkness, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their, of their hearts. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, re- rejecting the truth, staying clear of what God says is best is is actually a decision that you make to become blind and and our hearts over time will become calloused and bitter and it leads to a lot of anger and resentment. You know, I gotta be honest, sometimes I'm amazed at how quickly and how good I am at justifying my own sin. Our tendency is to judge others based upon what they do rather than their intentions, but yet when we make the same mistakes, what do we do? We judge ourselves based upon our intentions. Well, our heart was in the right place, rather than actually judging ourselves based on what actually happened. Now, this is a really dangerous pattern for us because convincing ourselves that the darkness isn't that big of a deal only increases our capacity for more darkness. For example, when I'm angry, it totally changes my perspective and outlook for the day. I don't know if you can identify with that. I mean, if, if I sit on it for too long, somebody makes me mad or angers me, all of a sudden I, I sit on it and, and I'm forming up this image of the person that is just an overreaction and it's irrational. But if I start to notice my anger and my bitterness towards that individual, I start to justify it. Well, you know what? I have the right. She shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have said that to me. You know what I'm saying? It only makes things worse. And so what ends up happening is then I become more impatient with those around me and I ended up taking, I end up taking it out on, on my family or, or those around me. And honestly, they have nothing to do with the problem whatsoever. It just kind of spirals out of control. But do you know what you'd really call that? Slavery. You see, the, the darkness inside of us, it never works in, in isolation. It, it always spills over into other areas of our life. And, and then the next thing you know, we're totally blind and we're utterly helpless. This past week, I read about a lady named Rose Crawford. Um, 
Rose Crawford was blind at birth, and, and for 50 years she couldn't see anything. Until one day she learned about this operation in her city of Ontario that uh, she was a good candidate for, and uh, there was a possibility that if she went through it and it was successful, she could actually see for the very first time. And so at 50 years of age, she went through this procedure. Now, before the procedure, all she saw was blackness. She couldn't see color. She couldn't define her surroundings whatsoever. She had to imagine it growing up. Well, after the procedure, was done, the nurse went into her recovery room, pulled off the bandages from her eyes, and Rose Crawford wept as she began realizing that, that I can see, she thought to herself, she could see for the very first time. She, she started weeping uncontrollably. Can you imagine what that would be like? Well, as I was reading this article, it, it's actually a rather sad story because her blindness for about 20 years of her life was actually completely unnecessary. You see, when she was about 30 years old, medical experts had come up with the cure and the actual procedure that would have enabled her to see 20 years prior. But she didn't know about it. In fact, the physician who, who did the uh, procedure was quoted in the article as saying this. He said, she just figured that there was nothing that could be done in her condition was so dire that she just accepted the darkness as her everyday reality. Do you hear what he's saying? It's like he's saying, look, she was so used to living one way. She was so used to the darkness. It just became her, her normal. She didn't even know that, that a better way was possible. She just accepted it as, okay, that this is what, this is what life is going to be like. Jesus said it like this. He said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So anybody who follows me shouldn't remain blind. We don't, have to, we don't have to stay blind. We have to remain in the darkness. You see, Christmas is all about the creator God entering our world to tell us that we don't have to keep living the way that we've been living. And so that means that Jesus can actually show you a better way to face your past. He can show you a better way to deal with your finances, a better way to approach your marriage, your relationships, your career, your, your sexuality. He actually has a better identity for you than, than who you think you are. But you know what? You can't let in the light when you keep defending the dark. It's just, it's not possible. My second confession goes like this. I don't want my darkness to be known. That, that's why sometimes I choose darkness over light. I don't want my darkness to be known, right? Now, there's something inside of us that, that I think causes us to go to great lengths to keep our sin hidden from others. And, and for the parts of my life that I don't want anybody to know about, I'm really good at hiding it, denying it, or, or suppressing it. And, and you know what? The thing is that, that hiding the darkness, it, it only empowers the darkness, Hiding the darkness only empowers the darkness. You see, a lot of us, we fear getting found out. We fear she being made known of what happened or, or that memory coming back to light. And, and that's maybe why you spend a lot of time erasing your search history. You delete text messages. You come up with a story about why you were late. You've gotten really good at lying or coming up with a story to cover up a half-truth or a lie. Why? Because you don't want to disappoint the people around you that love you and they're ultimately counting on you, Right? Well, let me ask you something. Is hiding your darkness really delivering what it promises? Is it really delivering what it promises? You see, I think for a lot of us that find ourselves in this situation, you are living in a constant state of fear, anxiety, paranoia, maybe even, even anger about possibly somebody finding out about what happened. Why? We think it beats people knowing who we really are. But could it be that 
We only give it more power when we do that. Could it be it just has more control over us? About a week ago, uh, my wife Savannah and I went out on a date, just the two of us, and we were going out to dinner, and we also knew that after dinner, we were going to do some fun activity together. We, we hadn't decided on what it was, and I personally wanted to go to the gun range and practice target shooting, okay? I mean, that's just, that's romantic. I mean, it's somewhere in the notebook, I'm sure, all right? And uh, my wife had a different idea about what fun is. She wanted to go to TJ Maxx. Now, I made it very clear to her when she said she wanted to do that. No, I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. We're not doing that. We are not going shopping on our date. That is not a fun activity, all right? About an hour later, after dinner, I'm walking up and down the aisles of TJ Maxx. <laughs> and uh, we're shopping, okay? I mean, that's just what happens. And so Savannah randomly pulled me aside. I don't know what it was, but uh, she said, hey, Patrick, I, I think you'd look really good in a beard. Would you be willing to grow out your beard? Now, I immediately protested. Oh, Savannah, I hate the beard. I think it looks awful on me. It's very uncomfortable. I, I, am, I am not growing a beard. So since then, I've been growing a beard, all right? And uh, if you've ever grown a beard before, and I'm talking to guys in here as well, all right? <laughs> yeah, you know that's funny, right? <laughs> if you've ever grown a beard before, you know that if you shave it, it comes back even stronger and thicker, right? And so when I shave in the morning and then I come home in the evening, I've already got a five o'clock shadow and, and that's just what happens when you're extremely masculine, like me. And so um, <clears throat> that's just what happens. And, and you know what that's like. Now, the good thing is that when I grow a beard, it's not like one of those beards that you look at like, oh, I just feel so sorry for him. It looks like a stray cat died on his face and long stringy hairs hanging out, you know what I mean? <clears throat> now, where in the world am I going with all this? I don't know. Um, there's a tie-in somewhere. Yep, got it. Okay. Hundreds of years ago, a guy by the name of Martin Luther compared darkness inside us like this. Here's what he said. He said, sin in a man is, is like his beard. Though shaved off today so that the man is very smooth, it grows back by tomorrow morning. You know what that's like? Basically, what, what he's saying is, you know what? You can manage your darkness for so long until it comes back even stronger. Let me say it like this. Keeping your sin in the dark, it's not a behavior issue. It's a belief issue. If it's tough for you to drag your sin to light, then you know what? Maybe it's because you either think that it's not that big of a deal, you're treating sin rather lightly, or you've bought into this poor version of Jesus where you think that he only cares about your behavior and, and you know, he can never put up with that or, or he would disown you if, if, if you told him about that situation. You see, the message of Christmas isn't that God will love us only if we are good. No, the message of Christmas is that Jesus makes us good simply because Jesus loves us. And take a look at how a guy named Paul, again, he wrote the Christmas story from a totally different perspective. Here's how he writes it to his buddy Timothy. He says, hey, look, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, hey, Tim, don't miss this, buddy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Hang on to that. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners what in the world are you talking about, Paul? Christ Jesus might 
display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I mean, Paul, come on, man. You're, you're being a little bit too vulnerable here. You're being a little bit too open. And, and your authenticity, it's making me uncomfortable. And, and I mean, after all, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be up here. And, and, and where's your moral authority, man? I mean, I can't respect you when you are that transparent about your flaws. And so why in the world would Paul write that knowing that everybody for the past 2,000 years would read that he is the worst of all sinners? I'll tell you why. Because all of us, I don't care who you are, all of us are willing to do things in the dark that we would never do in the light. And so this is Paul's way of saying, hey, brokenness and transparency is the only way to loosen the grip of what you're keeping in the dark. That's how you find freedom. This leads me to the last thing that is kind of a confession of, of why sometimes I choose darkness over light. I fear what the light will cost. I fear what the light will cost. I do. You see, dark adaptation is actually the medical term for when your eyes adjust from dark to light. You're sitting in a room, it's dark, someone flips on the lights and you kind of squint your eyes, you know what I'm talking about? That's called dark adaptation. This explains why your, lights, or your eyes hurt when someone turns on the lights like that. Your eyes are designed to expose, be exposed to your surroundings so that you can actually see what's in front of you. Now, whenever John wrote about Jesus' entrance into the world, it, it's like people struggled to adapt. It, it, it hurt. It, it was too bright for them. Check out what he said in, in verses 11 and 12. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His family, his hometown, they said, no, thanks, but no thanks. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he, he gave the right. He gave the right to become children of God. You see, the gift that, that Jesus brought was so bright that people ran away because of the pain that, that it brought. You see, Christmas is all about Jesus entering darkness so that we could live in the light. Christmas is all about Jesus adopting us out of darkness so that we could actually live a better way in the light. You see, what John is saying right here is that Jesus has given us a new name. He has given us a new home. We used to not belong, but now we do. We used to be defined by this. We used to identify ourselves in this way, but none of that even matters anymore. Our worst moment doesn't have power of us any longer. You know why? Because when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you for what you did. He doesn't see you for what people call you. He looks at you and he says, you're my daughter. You're my son. You're my child. And yet many rejected that. Why? Because it required thinking differently about their life. It required repenting and saying, okay, I've, I've blown it here. Can you show me a better way? Now, if you think about it, some gifts that you receive require that uh, you swallow your pride a little bit. It requires that, that it, it's going to be a little bit painful if you actually receive the gift that somebody has given you. Imagine for, for just a minute that a coworker uh, comes to you and says, hey, I am so excited to give you a gift. I've put a lot of thought into it, and, and I bought it for you last week, and, and I just can't wait to give you this gift. And, your coworker kind of builds this gift up, and uh, finally the day arrives. He, he brings it in 
puts it right on your desk, and uh, as soon as you're about to open it up, he, he pulls out his camera, and he's videotaping you, okay? And he says right before you open it up, hey, you, you may not like this gift right at first, but this is definitely a gift that you need. Well, that causes you to be a little bit suspicious. You rip open uh, the wrapping paper in the box, you pull it open, and it's a, it's a book. He got you a book, and the name of the book is How to Not Be a Jerk to Everybody Around You. Now, if you accept that gift, you're basically, in essence, acknowledging, I'm a jerk, right? And that's sometimes what's required whenever we accept certain gifts. And so it requires humility to accept a dental kit from your wife for Christmas or containers from your roommate because she's saying, hey, you are not organized. Get it together, please. Or maybe your mom and dad give you a one-year subscription to eHarmony.com to accept certain gifts it requires swallowing your pride, doesn't it? Because you are acknowledging that, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there, and, and this, this gift is going to help me get there, right? Now, let me be straight with you for a second. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. He loves me in spite of me. He's faithful even when when I'm not. Jesus believes in me even when I don't believe in myself. He knows my potential even when I doubt myself. And you know what? Jesus has given me so much I don't deserve it. He not only loves me, and this is something that that I honestly, if I'm being straight with you, I I can't get there. Most days I don't really believe this. He loves me, but he also likes me as well. He sticks with me even when I do something wrong. And here's the other thing. He sticks with me when I do something wrong, even when I knew better. But I'm learning that the only way that this works is if I submit to what he says is right and true, even when it hurts or even when I disagree. You see, Jesus is constantly reminding me, it's not about you, Patrick. It is not about me. And you know what? It's not about you either. Following him is costly. You see, to believe also means to follow. Jesus doesn't just want part of you. Jesus wants all of you. His plan for our lives will never just be about shining his light into a few areas of our life and then letting us hang on to those other areas where darkness can reign. No, his plan for our life will be about shining his light into all areas. I mean, it's all or or nothing. Jesus will take every ounce of darkness, every ounce of guilt and and shame and and insecurity or or fear or desire or, or whatever it is that you're dealing with, he'll take it all. And he's not nearly as afraid of it as you think that he will be, or he's not nearly as afraid of it as as maybe you are. He sees the very thing that you think disqualifies you. He knows what you think disappoints him. But you know what? In spite of all that, he says, just, just come to me. You're my, you're my child. He didn't just come to make you a better person. Jesus didn't enter this world just to teach you some principles and to show you how to be a more moral person. No, Jesus came because where there is darkness, there is also a need for light. Isn't that true? And maybe you've heard this story a thousand times before, and perhaps you don't think there's any possible way for you to see the manger from a different perspective. You've heard it a million times. Maybe you're here and you don't even believe it. You think it's crazy. You think it's just some big myth that a bunch of you know, drug addicts during the first century came up with that a guy rose back to life. Are you kidding me? I, I, I just can't get there. It's just impossible. And so maybe the place where you are right now, wherever it is that you're coming from, is you think there, there's no way that what happened then could have any bearing, any effect on my life right now. Nothing can change what I'm going through right now. And truthfully, I don't know how to convince you of this. 
I actually spend most of my life trying to come up with ways to tell you how choosing God's way is actually better, even though it's not always easiest. And so I come up with phrases, I come up with series, I come up with illustrations to try to drill this home into all of us. But honestly, I got nothing this week. And I'm not really sure what word to say, and chances are, I don't know you all that well, you don't know me all that well, and so you might be thinking, why even believe what this dude is saying? (laughs) I didn't walk in your shoes this week. I don't know what you're dealing with or what you've gone through lately. I don't know the darkness that just seems like it's suffocating you. I have no idea what you're holding on to today that you need to release. All I can tell you, though, is what's proven true in my life over and over again. And so if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. Like the light shines brightest in the areas of our life that are darkest. The light shines brightest in in the areas of our life that that, that are darkness. You see, the deeper the the darkness, the brighter God's grace shines. The light shines for me into my battle with with depression. The light shines when I snap at my wife and and I say things that that I shouldn't or I regret. The light shines when I I fail as a father. The light shines when I act like somebody I'm not. The the light shines into my battle with lust. It even can shine into the the battle with, with my pride and my selfishness. And you know what? Sometimes the longer that you stay in darkness, the more you anticipate the light, the more you just know, I, I need the light. Why? Because the light shines brightest in the areas of our life that tend to be darkest. And before I pray, I'm, I'm going to leave you with one question. All right, for the past few minutes, I've kind of done something unconventional, and that is just me confessing to you my battle with darkness. What, why did I do that? Well, I did that so you would know that, first of all, you're not alone. And secondly, for you to actually confess whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever darkness you're wrestling with, you don't have to go through a priest, you don't have to go through a pastor. And do this with one another. The Bible says that confess our sins to one another. Why? So that we may be healed, so that we can live in the light and experience freedom. And so here, here's my question for you. In, in what part of your life have, have you been living in darkness and, and you've denied the light? Where have, you, where have you denied the light because you just, you love living in darkness? I don't know what that is for you. But chances are that there's something that comes to mind or there was something that was said a few minutes ago that you kind of stopped breathing because you thought, well, did he dab my phone? He's talking right to me. And so here's what I want you to do. I've confessed some stuff. I want you to do that this week. Maybe you're thinking, I I don't know who to talk to. I I don't have somebody that I can lean on. Well, you know what? We've got some section hosts here at Crossroads that that would love to talk with you, okay? If you just remain seated here as as we leave in in a few minutes, right? They're gonna come alongside you. They're trained and equipped to to hear whatever it is that you're dealing with. And I promise you that that if you talk to one of these people, it may be a little bit awkward, a little bit weird because you don't know them. Maybe that's even better. I promise you that you're not gonna receive judgment. You're not gonna receive, well, how could you have done that? You're not gonna feel disappointment from them. Instead, what you might hear and what you might experience is, me too, I I know what you're dealing with. I've been there before. I can identify with that. Sometimes the best thing that you can be told when you're dealing with darkness is that, is that you're not alone. All right, so what is that for you? Don't leave here today with this weight still on your chest, knowing that I've, I've got to let the light shine in this part of my life. All right? Let me pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll continue on. Pray with me.
God, I know that there are many of us right now who are thinking that there's no way, there's no way that, that if I were to reveal this, if I were to talk about that, that people in my life would still love me, that, that God would, would still accept me. And, and that's great that Pat, Patrick, you're the pastor. God likes you, but there's no way he could like me because of what I've done, because of what I've, what I've experienced. And, and I did what, what I knew was wrong, yet I did it anyway. That, that, that's the conversation, God, some of us are having in our minds right now. And so, Lord, would, would, you, would you just shine your light? Would you do what you do best? Would you shine your light into all the dark spaces of, of our hearts, into all the dark spaces of our life? Darkness can be so comfortable, and yet in the end, it, it's so enslaving. Our tendency may be to run, our tendency may be to fear what it's gonna cost, but, but God, light, life in the light is always best. Give us the courage to have some conversations that we need to have today. In the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.